0: Log Talk Radio. Greetings, film guardians, crystal keepers, film lovers, and rockers. Welcome to There's a Rock for That. Welcome, everyone, to There's a Rock for That. I am your host, Mary Brown, and I am coming to you live from the Psychic Talk Radio Network, sponsored by the Tarot Guild. Visit com and check out all the cool things that we have going on there, all kinds of cool workshops and cool tarot people to do tarot things with and talk about Well, tarot, I guess. Um, Anyways, I'm so excited for today's episode. We are going to be talking about our crystal guest, Lepidolite. And that's a beautiful, beautiful stone that maybe you have seen, and we'll talk all about it, the variations of it, and the history of it, and really dig into that book first before we get into Lepidolite. I'm really excited to share with you uh, an amazing interview with the amazing Donald Altman, our author of the brand-new book that just came out. It's a novel called Travelers. And I know listeners to this show and even members of the Tarot Guild, you guys will love this book. It's right up our alley. There's even crystals mentioned in the book a little bit. (laughs) And so, of course, that's always an extra special thing. And, yeah, I got the opportunity to sit down with with Donald. And a lot of you may already be familiar with his work. He's written a lot of books, nonfiction books, a lot of what he's known for. Um, And, also, he writes the mindfulness blog on the Psychology Today website. Um, he's like a mindfulness expert. He's also a practicing um Well, I guess he's not practicing anymore because he's an expert at it. He's a psychotherapist. So, of course, you know, who wouldn't be thrilled to talk to a psychotherapist? Believe me, I would love to talk to one every day. (laughs) I don't know about you, but, oh, my gosh, so many wonderful things that we talked about, about the book, about mindfulness, and I don't know. I could just go on and on, but instead of that, why don't we listen to this interview with donald altman and also i did this via zoom with donald and so i will make the video version of this available on my youtube channel tarot dactyl experience you can check it out there that should be up by tomorrow night on the tarot dactyl experience channel on youtube so Check it out there as well. All right, so without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Donald Altman. There's a rock for that. So glad you could join us today.
1: Well, thanks, Mary. It's really great to be here with you.
0: Well, I'm so excited, and I've already—I know the book is out now, right? It's available from. Know, yeah. You know your regular retail booksellers, right? It's right.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, I know it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, independent booksellers, okay. or or bookstores.
0: Awesome! And this is from Roundfire Books, distributed by John Hunt Publishing. Was this? Uh, why did you want to write this story? What inspired you?
1: Yeah, you know this this story. Uh, It's so different from the other work that I've done. I've done a lot of nonfiction books around mindfulness, and I felt I just really wanted to reach people and bring them into the world of a uh, psychiatric unit, and I've worked Mm -hmm. in field for many years, and I wanted to tell the story of how sometimes I, I feel like mental health just puts people in boxes, and it gives them a diagnosis, and it sees us in a more mechanical way, and so I wanted to kind of help people get out of that yeah. box, yeah, view things differently, and share a story also it's a story about overcoming grief and, and 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 um transcendental types of realities.
0: and I feel like at the heart of it, there's also a love story going on, you know between Ben and his his wife, and you know, was that it's the difficult parts of love you know yeah. when things aren't going so great when we've gone through a tragedy and and how that impacts and really getting inside that i thought was really really kind of interesting because that's it's a very uh you know accessible and relatable story of two people who, who went through something together you
1: know uh yeah I, I i'm glad you mentioned that because it is very much has that love story part of it. You can see that they've been very close, but they've lost their daughter. And because of this, I don't want to give away any uh, really, you know, any uh, spoilers of the story, but it's driven a wedge between them. And so the wife, uh, uh, she wants to keep the, her name is Beth, and she wants to keep the daughter's room just as it is when she passed away. Whereas he wants to kind of like, he can't deal with it. He wants to move on. He wants it to change. And so there's, uh, they're unable to really come together because they're both experiencing the grief in different ways. And that's really important is kind of trying to respect how someone else might experience that. And so he grows in the story and their relationship changes. And at some point he he even thinks it's over. But, you know, fortunately it, um, he's able to adapt and so that he he grows through the story. I think that's important.
0: Yes. How do you describe things that, you know, I don't want to say they're not of this world, but I guess transcendental is the best way to describe it. But, But to try and, you know, get us to accept it in a sense, what kind of challenge was that for you?
1: Well, you know, I wanted... The, uh, the main character, he was very resistant. He's very science-oriented, very logical, very rational. And I think one of the keys, uh, one of the things in this book I was trying to do is to show how uh, that kind of rational science has a stranglehold on us. It's a materialistic viewpoint, and it doesn't make space for the mystery, for the unknown. And that unknown is out there. There's no question about it. Um, and, and, you know, I experienced... Uh, when I was going through a depression in my early 20s, experienced different realms of reality. And it actually helped me. I see it now as kind of a spiritual initiation. Sometimes when we go through difficult things in our lives, it opens a doorway to something else. If we're not fighting it, and in my case, I remembered um, you know, I was under the care of a therapist at the time who was wonderful who was helping me. At the same time, I had this, experience of seeing things so differently. I wasn't sure if they were, though well, there was a remote body leaving the body. There were also some experiences that I guess would be maybe uh, reincarnation experiences. But I just tried to keep an open mind. I remember when it was happening. I even said to myself, oh, this must be a natural process. and it was actually a way that helped me break old ways of thinking and mm. helped me to kind of view things in a fresh kind of with a sense of openness, and it actually, I think, helped me in terms of the depression I was dealing with, to see that, you know, you could be mired in all kinds of struggles on this material plane in this world, but that's not all yes. we are, right? And so when you're able to kind of escape that, so I saw it as kind of a gift that I was given, and uh, and it helped me realize, it helped me, I think, get through the depression. But I also find that no matter how many, uh, you, you know, you can go into meditative states, you can experience all different kinds of things um, out of this, you know, material, uh, sensory type world. Uh, but what's important for me is how how do you, you know, how do we act? How do we think? How do we? What do we do to reduce suffering in this world? That to me is what really matters. You could have all the visions in the world, but if you don't. Uh, help reduce suffering here. It's it's uh, you're not making the best use of it.
0: Well, so how do we how do we do that? You know, mindfulness. I I think that a lot of us still are like not quite sure what that means. You know, and I remember like I think I know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a lot of us think we know, but you know, I remember reading this thing about. You know, and it was, in a, it was in a book written by a, a Tibetan Buddhist person, um, and it talked about how if you could reach a certain level of mindfulness, then you could absolutely avoid all kinds of problems. And I was well, just wondering, like, is that true? I mean, does, don't problems just sort of happen regardless of how mindful we are?
1: Problems are always going to happen, but how we react to those problems, I think maybe that is... What he was trying to get to, so mindfulness can mean a lot of different things, um, and I've you know, I've been teaching it for many many years now, and I keep increasing my uh, knowledge of what it means. And I mean, if somebody really wants to learn, um, you know, find a good teacher. I even, I even wrote a book called Simply Mindful, uh, seven a seven week course, and uh, my and and personal handbook for mindful living. That really teaches mindfulness in a systematized way. When I mindfulness, if you go back to the original meaning of sati, which is the Sanskrit word for mindfulness, the original meaning of that word was self-recollection and self-remembrance. So for me, it's kind of how do we bring the fragmented parts of ourselves together? How do we find that sense of wholeness? It also means remembering our ancestors, right? It's, it's it's a broader meaning of mindfulness. And when you start to experience mindfulness, um, uh, you don't have to be as reactive with things. So yes, there's going to be, you know, I, I always say if you're in a, if you have a human mind, if you have a human body, when well, you're going to experience loss, you're going to experience, uh, sadness. You're going to experience all different kinds of emotions. And it's not that we want to avoid those things, but, um, uh, but how can we wisely uh, deal with uh, these things that happen to us? So mindfulness, <clears throat> its real purpose, is not to make us like more productive. And you hear that kind of oh, be mindful and get more yeah. done, whatever. You know? But mindfulness uh, is its purpose is to reduce suffering. And so you can start to observe your mind. You can notice when you follow thoughts that might not be helpful for you, you know, we identify with a lot of our thoughts, but we have, you know, and I'd like to ask your audience uh, to think about how many thoughts have you had today. Could you possibly count the number of thoughts you've had in a day? No, no, <laughs> because no. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think we have a minimum 20,000 thoughts or more a day. And how wow. many of those thoughts, how many of those thoughts tell you something really profound about who you are? Mean mm. a very small number. Uh, most are habitual thoughts, maybe toxic thoughts, conditioned thoughts. Sometimes uh, it's been found that if we're just sitting there, our mind will start, our mind will start spinning, and we'll just randomly have distressing thoughts. That's normal. Yeah. The mind, yeah. The mind creates all. It's like a movie projector it creates this incredible show, but you know that you know you've got to know you're in a movie theater, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, That's a great
1: analogy.
0: So that makes all the difference. You know, it's funny. that it, There's this kind of one thing that happens in the book that I I'm, that I'm wanted to ask you about. Do you have, you know, experience working in a psychiatric hospital as a, as a therapist, a doctor? Um, what happens to one of the characters in the book, Mason, I'm thinking of, and what struck me was this concept of, the rich and the powerful being able to just you know commit their troubled children, <laughs> whether that's the best course of action for them or not, and you know it's it's not the first time I've heard of that kind of thing happening from your perspective how how often does that happen, and how how easy is it to do? you know well, can somebody just lock up a problem in their life like that?
1: Well, you know, again, that's fiction. That's a fictional story, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't.
0: I keep forgetting. <laughs> so
1: I don't. I don't know. Of it. It's funny because people have read that book and say, "Well, that's you. You're Doctor Banks," and I'm like, "No, that's, that's fiction." <laughs> I mean, sure, I can't help but draw upon parts of my life, and the right. therapy practice that he uses in the book uses uh, parts of things that I I know about, but um, uh, no, I don't personally know of. A, Case where somebody was committed like that, but uh, mm-hmm. there, you know, uh, but it's conceivable that something like that, what happens in the story, could conceivably happen. Yeah,
0: um, you know, I heard about it where it's like I'm in Texas, so who knows? You know, yeah. <laughs> who knows what they do. Um, but I mean, I've heard of like that was like kind of a common practice, at least in the area of the. Up here, where I live in top Well, of that. years,
1: yeah. I think years ago, it was much more likely that somebody had somebody in their family who was troubled, um, maybe experiencing uh, schizophrenia or hearing voices or something, and yeah. they might be committed for a period of time, and and they they didn't have the kind of medications they have now, so somebody could have been ended up could have ended up in kind of an institutionalized care situation. Yeah, and that's what. And I think that even today, it's possible for things like that to happen. Um, yeah. Although I think hospitals today want to try to get people out and move them out into into the world. You know, whether it's to some place that they can still function. Um, but uh, I think in the story, somebody like Mason could have been gotten stuck in a um, institutionalized kind of care situation, and that's what yeah. the doctor in the story is trying to save him from.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I found that very, very compelling and very, and very believable, um, you know, because it's like, you know, you hear things like, well, once you're in the system, you're, you know, forget it. You know, you're always in the system, you know, the the mental health system and, you know, what kind of treatment happens? Is it all just drugs in the kind of hospital that the characters are in in the story? Or, you know, we see also like art therapy and stuff, and I was wondering like how prevalent is that where that's offered to people at psychic, psychiatric Yeah,
1: hospital? you know, I think it is getting better, and there are different cre- what are called creative art therapies, art, uh, creative therapies now. There's, there's art therapy, there's um, uh, dance movement therapy, there's uh, music therapy. And uh, a lot of psych centers now have gardens, so patients go outside, they have really beautiful gardens, and they're trying to make it uh, so uh, they have a chance to uh, get exposed to these other modalities, right, Mm. because not everybody is, talk therapy isn't the best thing for everybody, right? Mm. And and the other thing, you you brought up a good point, Mary, about um, um, how uh, easy it is just to uh, you know, somebody gets in the system and they're given a diagnosis. And that's one yeah. of the things that I think is sometimes a problem because I think a lot of times patients, they hear that diagnosis and they latch on to it. So mm. I mean, I've had people come to me and say, oh, I'm schizophrenic or I'm a bipolar or I'm a this, or, I'm a eating this or I'm a that. And, well, hold, just a minute. <laughs> you're giving yeah. you know, somebody gave you a diagnosis, but now you're giving yourself a label. And You're,
0: you're identifying.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had somebody who I worked with. Her her whole story changed. I remember she came in to see me, and she had a history of there was a history of depression in her family. I think her mother, grandfather was institutionalized, another one of her parents uh, actually committed suicide, and she was on medication since a very tender, you know, in grade school up through her whole life. Yeah. And when she came in to see me, she just said, "Well, I'm." Uh, I've got depression in my family. There's nothing I can do about it. It was a very fatalistic kind of right. way of looking at it, right? Well, I started working with her on different tools, mindfulness tools or ways of, you know, watching your thoughts and effort, positive affirmation, different thing, gratitude, which is a selective yeah. attention practice. And it kind of gets you out of your head and you start to, you know, it rewires your brain actually. So I had her start to do these practices. She started to feel better. And she's like, oh, wait, you know, I want to go off my meds. And I was like, well, you don't be so fast to do that. You know, um, you know, the medication might be helping you and these other things are helping you. But eventually she did. And her story changed. It was from, you know, I have this depression, so my family can't do anything about it, to I have a a set of skills and tools that I can uh, use to manage my depression. It was beautiful Mm -hmm. to see that shift. In how she wow. saw her story.
0: Well, you know what that reminds me of, and, and it's related to the book. <laughs> you know, I'm not going off too far in a tangent, but um, you know, like I studied, you know, shamanic practices, and one thing that you know a lot of teachers teach in that modality, you could say, um, is that we are not our stories that we do get too attached to our stories. And, you know, that's what it reminded me of, which reminds me of Traveler Jackie (laughs) in your book. She's like a shaman of some sort. Did you you have somebody in your life like that? Or how did you even come up with it? No, (laughs) it's funny. I
1: I mean, uh, no, I didn't have anybody exactly like her. Um, I had, uh, it was interesting, I had met a traveler who had a dog who was on his shoulder. I was leaving the library one day and I saw this guy and I, saw, I thought I saw something on his shoulder and I started talking to him and he called himself a traveler. Now, wow. not the same kind of traveler as Jackie. Traveler Jackie's is a kind of um shamanic traveler and teacher. Now, this guy called himself a traveler because he didn't stay in any place very long. And his dog that stayed on his shoulder wasn't, Ascension canine like traveler Jackie's canine, but that kind of stuck with me how interesting that was and and he yeah, how he survived and So um, you know, I had a nice long talk with him and that was years ago and then when I finally started to work on this book it was like boom I was like that popped into my head as traveler Jack yeah. Maybe so that's
0: she, why you met him
1: You know, it could be it could be it's amazing to think that because um, I, I wanted this book to feel uh, real and organic, not yeah. formulaic at all. So I wanted the the people to come alive, and uh, some, sometimes that's kind of dangerous as a writer. You can write yourself into a corner, but I just trusted my characters.
0: <laughs> you know. Really? It's interesting. You mentioned, you know, some people saying, oh, this must be about you. Maybe that's because you wrote it in the first person, (laughs) you know, but but, but that, I so enjoyed that. And I was just wondering, why did you choose that point of view? If it wasn't going to be too biographical, and did you take on the character of that event?
1: Well, I no, I didn't take on the character Ben, but I, I just for some reason I felt that that he had this story to tell, and he wanted to, to to share the story directly, you know, because he yeah. was taken on this journey, and I mean, a third person narrator couldn't have done it as well as I don't think he did.
0: No, I agree. I, I really do, and I think again it, it goes back to the love story. It's so great to to hear the male point of view in that kind of situation. Mm. I don't know why, but that really stuck with me. I'm like, wow, how many women are in that kind of <laughs> this universe? And they're oh. like, so that's how he's thinking. You know, that's <laughs> one that popped up with me. But you know, I, I did want to ask another mindfulness question, though. Yeah. Because reading your background, your bio, and you've done a lot with the concept of mindful eating. Now, does that mean staring yeah. at my vegetables, or what does that mean? <laughs> you know,
1: you how know eat my <laughs> <food>? <laughs> Mindful eating, I think, means to uh, be aware of your hunger sensations right to experience mm-hmm. the food uh, fully um, not to just uh, gulp it down but to be present as you eat and to notice and appreciate the wonder of food i mean here's a miracle that food comes in all these different uh sources and yeah. and how intimate can you get you're putting something in your mouth that becomes part of you absorbed into you. I mean, you can't really get more intimate than that. So to help people, no. and I used to be a mindless eater, which is, I think, what drew me to, um, I was at one, I was a vice president of the Center for Mindful Eating at one point. But that probably mm-hmm. never would have happened if I'd been a, a mindful eater early on. I was a mindless eater. I was an emotional eater. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was a lady uh, that I worked with, and she would go to drive-ins and um, she had a feeling that she didn't like and she wanted it to go away. So she'd go to a drive-in, a drive through you know, food place and yes. order copious amounts of food, like 2,000, 3,000 calories worth of food. And then they just eat it in the parking lot and it, it mm. made her kind of, made those feelings go away. Um, eating so, her feelings. Yeah. Is it, you know, uh, is, it, is it what I'm eating or is it what's eating me? <laughs> Right.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. So what I had her do, I said, um, I, before you uh, go through the drive-through, if you drive up to, you know, drive up there, I want you to stop in your car and not order until you can give a name to the feeling that you're trying to make go away. And she said, Oh, yeah, I don't know wow. it that I've never given her a name. So, <clears throat> so she came back, and it was amazing was there for the throat. (laughs) So it was amazing. She, um, she said, I sat in the parking lot for 40 minutes and I suddenly realized what I was feeling was loneliness. And once Uh I gave it a name, she said, I realized it's not physical hunger. I don't need to go through the drive through now. She just drove home. It was a beautiful story. Wow. Yeah, so when we get into the body, which is what mindfulness can help us do, uh, you can start to feel your feelings better, and mm-hmm. that can be uh, really be a guide uh, in a lot of ways. So, uh, so mindful eating is about being present with what you're feeling uh, and being aware of your hunger, because if you're really, you know, uh, I, I I try to get people to notice their hunger on a one to ten scale. So ten. I'm so hungry, I just eat anything I see. One, you know, I don't really feel any hunger. So, mm-hmm. it's best to try to eat when your hunger's in the 4, 5, 6 range. You're more likely to make better choices. So, mindful eating okay. about choice, it's about noticing your emotions, it's about appreciating the food. It's all of that.
0: Can it help with like eating disorders?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, there actually is some research about that too. Um about mindful eating and how it can help people deal with uh, eating disorders. Eating disorders, and I worked in an eating disorder clinic. Uh, it's wow. a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, talk about, uh, they have about 95% of the time they're preoccupied with thoughts about body image and eating. And very yeah. hard for them to, uh, to you know, emotionally regulate. But it it takes time if you're experiencing yeah. that. Mm,
0: I, and. You know, but you have the most fascinating background. <laughs> oh, well, you, wrote this, you. you wrote this wonderful book. You know all this stuff, and also you were a monk. You were a monk, an actual monk, and hey, well, I did the
1: hairstyle.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, like, is that any fun? I mean, like, you know, like what? Why? 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 Well, because it's not something that people, you know, it's. It's, we don't live in a society that's like encouraging, like,
1: hey, be a monk. Yeah, I met this monk. It was somebody <laughs> I knew who said, oh, there's there's somebody I want you to meet, this monk that I've met. I was like, okay. So I, I met this monk, and it didn't, I didn't know it at the time. He was from Burma, and he was a well-known teaching monk, came and taught all around the U.S. But what struck me was a sense of openness and availability and compassion that I literally could feel from him. When I grew up in Chicago, you didn't find people like that. And I I was really curious. And not too much, you know, some months later, I went through a difficult time in my life, and I, you know, there were certain patterns that kept repeating for me. And I'm sure your listeners can, you know, we all have blind spots. We all have sometimes patterns that repeat. And they can be harmful and painful. And so it was happened again to me as like, you know what, I've got to dig deeper, I've got to find out, why is this happening, and what can I do about it? And it's around that time I found out that I could ordain uh, in the monastery with that uh, teacher as the head of the monastery, and it oh, wow. was a real it was a real blessing for me. I mean, I it was a I was ripe, I think, for the experience. And I went in knowing I wouldn't be there forever or anything like that. I always thought my work would be out here, but it it put my life into a different trajectory. Mary, I. I, as a result of that, I ended up going back to graduate school to uh, wow. become a psychotherapist and write it, I started writing mindfulness-oriented work and became uh, more focused on, on, on what I could give and how I might be of service. So it, it was really it was a life-changing experience. I'm very grateful for it, and it was it was hard too to be in there. You were doing very intensive meditation and things I. I'd never done to that extent. In fact when you go in they give you a new name. You kinda of let go of your old life. And I had a lot of hair when I went in and so they shave, the first thing they do is they get straight razors and they shave your hair. Ah. Um, yeah. And them and they give you a new name. I'm and out
0: they, of it then. I'm not shaving my head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then they but the first lesson was it was funny, they so they held up a lot of a lock of my hair and held it in front of me and I'm thinking like, Well what's what's this so about? And then the monk asks. He says, "This is not you." So mm-hmm. it's it's about uh, you know not identifying with, um, you know, non attachment, not learning really not to identify, and to see yourself in a new way. And it was a like
0: sort of shedding that old, yeah, in. shedding the old
1: persona, and wow. <coughs> so. Um,
0: Did you learn to levitate? Powerful. No, you know, we I here about uh, you know tibetan monks and you know all yeah. kinds of like we
1: didn't wild- do that in that monastery they were uh it was the old school of buddhism uh the theravada school known as so that's in uh, laos cambodia thailand burma mm-hmm. and um so they um it's more just you know you're sitting and walking meditation and sitting meditation different kinds of meditation as well yeah. And then, you know, they would have different uh, talks that the monk would give. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, most of it was in English. <laughs> it was for me, but, but it, was a, it was a really powerful experience for me. Even, you know, I kind of noticed we would go in to have lunch, and on the walls of the dining room were signs that said, Noble Silence, so we ate in silence. Glad. But at the same time, it was amazing. People were so attentive so, I might finish eating my bowl, and then, as soon as I finish, there's a monk's holding up another bowl of rice or a dish for me. So everybody was uh, very present what was happening, even though we were silent. And I think it's a good experience just to try to eat the first five minutes of a meal, for example, just in silence. In fact, you know, you probably remember in the book, in travelers, everybody's trying to get the psychiatrist to be still to get silent. And he's filling yeah. up his mind all the time because he doesn't want to confront his grief. He doesn't want to confront his feelings. So he stays distracted with all these things, he's reading journals. He's doing this, doing that, yeah. and he's not reflecting. And I think that's something that we kind of lost nowadays. And I hope that this book can connect people with that idea of, of stillness. And that when yeah. we access stillness, we can also access other uh, ways of uh, awareness, transcendental. Right is outside of this one reality that we experience.
0: Yeah. No, I I think that that is is really that would be helpful. <laughs> <If> we had <laughs> more people that were aware, you know, even even self-aware. That would be that would be very helpful. Um, you know, with things like you know depression and PTSD and Oh, I guess you know, like, is mindfulness something that can be helpful across the board, or is, or are there people that like can't do it? Do you know what I'm saying? You know, there. And I think health,
1: mindfulness tends to be pretty helpful, uh, but I, you know, it's like anything; it's not for everybody. It's like penicillin isn't good for every. Um, I'm allergic. Problem. Oh, okay, that's a perfect example. Some people might be allergic to mindfulness. <laughs> so So uh, we, you know, I a lot of times I try to take mindfulness out of the box, though, and I don't need to use the mindfulness word. One time I was teaching in Hawaii, and a lady came up to me in the middle um, at a break time, and she said she was Hawaiian, and she said, oh, you know, we have a word here in our native language for that I think is like mindfulness and shit. It's Nalu and Nalu means not too fast, not too slow in the flow. Isn't that I, beautiful? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think,
1: I think that however people connect with getting president, some people do it visually, some are tactile, you know, so maybe they get present when they go on a walk. Other people get present when they look at nature. So it's kind of like knowing ourselves. And, um, yeah, so everybody has a different way and traditional, you know, breath mindfulness might not be for everybody. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Well, you know, it's it's something that like, I think, um, everybody's got like a little bit of their, you know, a, a different vibe sometimes. I mean, I know some people like, um. You know that are that are very active or whatever. It's like I can't imagine them being silent. I can't, imagine, you know. But they've got their own, you know, sort of level of activity or level of energy that seems to keep them in the flow. So I was just wondering, like, is it is it nothing is a one size fit all, um, and that's true for even therapy. And and you're working psychotherapist. Are you are you Freud or Jung or you know? <laughs> You know, what's you your know, approach? How do you describe
1: your practice? You know, it's really interesting, and uh, uh, I think the most important thing is the relationship you have with the client. I think that's more important than the uh, modality, the kind of therapy you use, but is there a rapport? You know, do you really connect with them? I think some yeah. of the moments I had with, and, and actually that's in the book, was a moment when Ben and and mason share laughter breaks a a very tense moment and they laugh together and that uh, there was a young man i worked with and and maybe it came from that but i remember we had a moment where we both started laughing we both really just cracked up laughing and i think that was probably one of the most therapeutic moments we had together
0: ah laughter the best medicine
1: yeah Yeah, it really is a good medicine
0: yeah (laughs) well you know one thing i thought like, right at the, I, and I don't even know, maybe it was chapter two, it was towards the beginning of the book, in the way that you describe people, you know, like, I just thought to myself, like, he really likes people, you know, and I thought about it, you've got to like people, right, to be a psychopath who oh, yeah. wants to hear <laughs> that problem all the time. You know, but you know, and I, in the way that you described the character, I thought of, and maybe this is like, maybe I'm getting the the, the meaning wrong, but I thought of it as like it was sort of mindful. It was very mm. you were noticing like these aspects of these characters, like the minor characters in the book, and and like they deserve to be given that attention, and that just makes me think like you're a people person.
1: Well, thank I don't you, think thank you. you. I guess maybe that is what came through for me, because I, um, you know, when I would, I, I like to, I try to be observant, and mm-hmm. I think everybody has strengths, and I try to, you know, even if I'm just about my day, I, I try to point out people's strengths to them, and well, you're very much of a per, people person too, where I can see that, and <laughs> you're one of the one the help people, and you, I can feel your compassionate sense. So I mean, uh, uh, so I. Well, I'm glad that came through. Thank you. I'm I'm touched that you saw that. Yeah,
0: and, I did, I just really kind of thought that right off the bat, <laughs> like in you know, like chapter two, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember, I didn't like write <laughs> down the page number for <laughs> But so just so everybody knows the the book, the title is Travelers. And by Donald Altman out from Roundfire Books, distributed by John Hunt Publishing, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all your favorite book retailers. Thank you so much for taking the time to to share you know the journey of this book and your insights with us today, Donald. Oh,
1: thank you, Mary. Very much appreciate it. And thanks for uh, having me on your show.
0: All right. Well, I hope all of you enjoyed that interview with Donald Altman. Again, the name of the book is Travelers. Go pick yourself up a copy. It is just a fantastic read. I I literally like I like I got it. I, I Started reading it and I spent like an entire day and night until I finished it because it was so compelling. It's a real page turner and just just a neat neat book altogether. So, um, before we start talking about our crystal guest of the month, lepidolite, I wanted to. Um, give a shout-out to the Psychic Talk Radio Network. You can keep up with all of our shows here. This isn't the only game in town or on this network. Um, and some of you know I, I also co-host uh, the Tarot Today Show on Saturdays and Mondays here on the Psychic Talk Radio Network on Blog Talk radio, and your favorite podcasting platform. We make it available after the show. And also this interview with Donald Altman, I will have it up also on my YouTube channel since we did it via Zoom. And that is at Pterodactyl Experience on YouTube. And check out my art videos too. I make little shorts out of paintings and stuff and it is a source of joy for me to do that. <laughs> Anyways, um, what else? What else? Oh, yes, this show, like I think all of our shows, is sponsored by the Tarot Guild, a wonderful place for people who are tarot enthusiasts or if you're new to tarot or you've been doing it quite a while, like some of us have been decades, <laughs> we don't need to date ourselves, Um come on over to the tarot They've got a special running for a lifetime membership but also the annual membership is available for a dollar a month it's like 12 bucks a month um anyway and you can also just sign up for free too i think and just check it out the tarotguild.com okay so uh ba, 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 ba. our guest is personal guest of the month is lepidolite and the reason why I chose lepidolite is because well I just I talked to a psychotherapist and lepidolite is like a major source of lithium <laughs> and to me that connection just made sense I don't know why but let's talk a little bit about lepidolite what is it you probably have seen it you can get really uh, inexpensive little tumble pieces. It's beautiful. It's got this sort of strong pink and purple color. It's a lithium, aluminum, potassium mineral and one of the most commonly found members of the mica family. And you can, you know, it's found, it crystallized in the form of masses, plates, aggregates, stacked sheets, which they also call books and tabular prismatic crystals. And you know, it, it is derived from traces of manganese impurities within the chemical makeup. Lepidolite uh, comes from the Greek words lepidos for scale and lithos for stone. You know, think of lithograph, you know, engravings on stone. Um, it can be found worldwide, uh, abundant veins spread throughout uh, Brazil, Australia, the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Mexico, like all over the place. and that's why you know also because it's so abundant you know the nice thing is that you can get yourself a nice little piece of lepidolite you know for very very little money Um, it's a very soft and brittle stone and you know it can be cut and shaped and polished when it sounds like within courts but that's kind of a rare thing and so sometimes when you see lepidolite jewelry with really beautiful like high class cabochons um you know usually from brazil from the minas gerais region like so many of our crystals are um you know the the jewelry pieces with the really high grade you know perfect level of light that's rare to find um are going to cost you a pretty penny but you know tumbled stones do the job they they do the job um metaphysically, right? You know, but, you know, maybe they aren't <laughs> as great for jewelry. Um But anywho, uh, let's talk about this lithium thing, right? So you've heard of lithium, right? You know, it's used in our batteries and for electric vehicles and even modern medicine. And, you know, there's all different kinds of ways in which it is used. In fact, it, is in some cases given to patients uh, directly as an ingestible substance to stabilize the mind especially um, when it comes to treating things like bipolar disorder that kind of thing i know that that's been in use for a while but i kind of also wonder you know to what degree i don't think it's as prevalent as it was but i could be wrong about that i should have asked donald altman he <laughs> might know um but You know, because it has a high lithium content, a good way to use it if you're into crystal healing is to place a piece directly over your third eye or crown chakra while you're in, like, a meditative state. So if you're doing, like, a little, you know, session of meditation uh, try placing a piece of lepidolite either above your crown or right over your third eye while you're meditating because it can have an effect that results in sort of you know a shift you know it it really shifts you towards calmness that's what i have found anyways uh just sort of i don't know kind of levels you out if you're hyper about something It is said that our entire chakra column becomes activated and aligned when holding or connecting to the left of the light and that it personifies the idea of self-growth so you can open up to the world around you. And, you know, sometimes it can be hard to find that, you know, that feeling of happiness just within ourselves. You know, sometimes, you know, life can be such that it's hard to, connect to that, to connect to our inner joy, to connect to our inner happiness. And and Lepidolite is said to, you know, remind us um, that we have to start somewhere with that, even if it's external. That's why sometimes they call it the jumpstart stone because it wakes us up with a little jolt of life force energy that that reminds us that, you know, we... We do have that connection. We do have that connection to happiness and to joy within and without. Um, And, you know, the other things that it's known for, you know, we talked about the crown and the third eye. Yeah, because it's a purple stone often you know, you're going to have those connections immediately. But also it's a pink stone, so the heart chakra. And, you know, really, again, you know, the seven main chakras because it helps us align that chakra column. So um, also, (laughs) if you would like to use stones, um, you know, just decoratively around your house, What's really cool about lepidolite, I have a couple pieces of just tumbled stones, and, like, you know, they don't, they're not real eye-catching. And so what I do, I have, like, a little um, oh, geode, like a half geode of uh, celestite, you know, the blue quartzy crystal, or even if you have a quartz or amethyst one, and you put the lepidolite in there. And if you put some of those little, like, fairy lights around it you can get the little they're inexpensive you know and they're great for lighting up your crystals and really you know that allowing you to kind of you know see more of the shapes and colors in the stone and that's one thing i always tell well a couple things i always tell people is one yeah look at your stones under light too you know not necessarily for scrying, you know, but also that, you know, you want to kind of put the light in a certain place for that. We'll talk about that another time. Um, But, you know, just to really connect, to really connect with the stone and, and, you know, get to know its surface, examine the surface of it, you know, um, because I think that that helps a lot, you know, when it comes to feeling connected, you know, it really helps, like, not just to have the stone or hold the stone or place it on your third eye or crown or whatever, but to actually spend some quality time, um, getting to know it. And the, the easiest way, the most accessible place to start with that is really examining it. And also if you have like a jeweler's loop or, or, um, uh, what do you call it? A magnifying glass, um, Look at your crystals under that, too, because it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. But anyways, that is, um, that is of the light, <laughs> the stone of the month. So March is the time, a great time, to uh, look into it. If, if any of the properties that I shared with you um, appeal to you, go check it out. And that is our show for today, except that I did pull a crystal card of the month from a really beautiful deck by Rochelle Sharman, the healing crystal oracle deck here. And the stone that I pulled works well with lepidolite. It's clear quartz. It works great with anything, and it is also programmable. So that's what I want you to think about as your message for the month. Whether it's programming your dreams, or whether it's programming your day, or your week, or the month. You know, this this is a good time for all of us to kind of t- take a look at things and get get organized in the way that we are working to our goals, toward our goals, you know, anything that we can do. So whatever, whatever goal you have, you know, it doesn't have to be some big, great lofty goal. It can be very personal. It can be just a personal achievement kind of thing. Like I want to bake bread this month. I'm going to break, you know, whatever it is that you've been wanting to do. And you just keep thinking like, Oh, there's so much to do to do it. Um, now is a good time to kind of you know put together your own program for accomplishing the things that you want to do and that are meaningful to you in your life. All right, so that is it. That is our show for today. I want to thank my guest, Donald Altman and his wonderful book, Travelers, for joining us today, and all of you for tuning in and listening to this and again um. The video version of that interview will be available on the Tarot Dactyl Experience channel on YouTube. So you can watch and listen there, or you can listen uh, in archive and on all our podcasting platforms after today's show and I did want to make a quick little note though if you had tried to listen in live today on blog talk radio I noticed during the show that for some reason we went off the air seeing BTR uh, maybe had some technical difficulties let's say and um and I'm sorry and i and I hope that you do uh look for the replay and we're able to hear everything. thanks again, everybody. have a terrific weekend bye- bye everyone